Good morning. Um, happy St. Patrick's Day. How many are wearing green? I am, but it's short sleeve. It's my green shirt is short sleeve, so I had to wear this thing over it because it's kind of cold out. Spring comes this week, but it doesn't feel like it today. Um, how many are familiar with St. Patrick's story? I mean, have you ever actually done any reading on his life, you know, and, and all of that? Uh, has anybody, I mean, he, he, he lived an amazing life. And if you haven't read about it, you should at some point. Did you know that he is not Irish? Did you know that? St. Patrick is not Irish. He was born around 385, 386, it's debatable, in, in Britannia, of, of Roman parents who were living in Britain at the time. Now, does anybody know how he came, first came to Ireland? That's right. He was kidnapped, and when he was 16 years old, he was kidnapped by uh, pirates and then taken and sold to a, as a slave to a Druid priest in Ireland. And St. Patrick grew up in the church. I mean, he grew up, you know, with a family of faith, but he never really owned that faith for himself. It was just something that was kind of there until he got kidnapped and sold as a slave. And then all of a sudden it became very serious to him. Well, after living as, as a slave for six years, he escaped as a result of God giving him this dream about a ship that was some distance away that was getting ready to sail for Britain. Long story short, he escapes, he goes to, uh, uh, he, he gets on the ship and, and, and sails to, to Britain, and then he eventually, he made his way then to France, he entered the priesthood, became, eventually became a bishop, and then in another dream, God called him back to go back to Ireland to preach the gospel. And that's how he ends up ministering in Ireland. He, he crisscrossed the country, preaching the gospel, and performing numerous miracles. Numerous miracles performed that, that God did through St. Patrick. In fact, he is credited with raising 33 people from the dead. Now, if that's not a miracle, I don't know what it is. What is. But he's credited with raising 33 people from the dead, converting thousands to Christianity in spite of tremendous opposition from the Druids in a land that was spiritually dark and overrun with paganism. I mean, he was in the midst of a spiritual battle in that country. By means of the miracles which God worked through St. Patrick, much of Ireland was then much of Ireland then turned from paganism to follow Christ. I mean, it's quite, quite a story. And, you know, we talk about the miracles. As you study church history from the time of the apostles up through the present day, you will find accounts of God working miracles through his church. You know, some would like to make the claim that that miracles and gifts of the spirit, uh, uh, gifts of the spirits, that, that they stopped with the death of the apostles. But the problem with that is it just doesn't hold up to the scrutiny of scripture or, or, or of history. When you look at history, there are documented miracles all throughout, from the time of the apostles all the way up through the present day. We're starting a new series today. It's about miracles. It's called When Pigs Fly. Now, did you ever hear that 
phrase before. How many are familiar with that term, when pigs fly? Do you know what it means? It means it's, 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 uh, uh, it's an expression that's used to referring to something that's extremely unlikely to happen. Extremely unlikely to happen. If somebody would have told me when I was in high school that someday I would be uh, uh, standing up here talking in front of people, much less pastoring a church, I would have said, yeah, when pigs fly. You know, that would have been, a, you know, an, a, an accurate description right there. Or, or if you would tell me that suddenly something's going to come on me and I'm going to be able, there's not one up here today, but I'm going to be able to pick up a bass guitar and start playing it, you know, proficiently, like I've always wanted to do. I would say, yeah, when pigs fly. That ain't just, that just ain't going to happen. You know, I, why? Oh, I, I yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think, yeah, that's a good way to empty a church is put me on an instrument. I always say I can play anything as long as it's on a CD. Um, some of you will get that. I am not musically inclined uh, at all. So, you know, but anyway, that's, that's the meaning behind the phrase when pigs fly, you know, something is extremely unlikely to happen. And that's, that's the, the title for this series. Um, because let's face it. Many of us would say, you know, well, you know, I believe in miracles. A number of us would say, most of us would probably say, I believe in miracles. I believe that God can do them, you know, but I, I, I still believe he does them today. But when it comes down to it, most people don't believe, really don't believe that God will do a miracle for them. It's always for this person over here. It's always, you know, God will do things for them, but for me, he's not going to do it. That's what so many people believe. And, you know, so for the next four or five weeks, we're going to be talking about different types of miracles and hopefully begin to believe that not only can God do miracles, but he can also do them for me. And not only begin to believe that he could do them for me, do them for us, but begin to expect that as well. So that when we pray, when we ask God, when we're, when we're seeking God, we're not, only, we're not only just thinking, okay, God, I know you can do this over here, but we're saying, okay, God, do it for me. You're not a respecter of persons. Do it for me and begin to expect it. Now, to clarify, we're talking about miracles because the term gets thrown about rather casually. When we say things like, I got the job. It's a miracle. Or, you know, the parking lot is packed, and, you know, you go, you go to the mall, the parking lot is packed, and you get, a, you get a parking space, you know, you say, God, open up a parking space for me, and you get one right up front. It's a miracle. Or the Cubs won the World Series. It's a miracle. That one may be a legitimate miracle. Anyway, <laughs> that one may qualify. No, what we're talking, what are we talking about when we're talking about miracles? A miracle, what we're talking about is when God in heaven intervenes on earth in a supernatural way, in an unexpected way, in a way maybe that we couldn't foresee. When God in heaven intervenes on earth, an all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present God intervenes in your life in an unexpected, unforeseen, supernatural way. That's what we're talking about. And we're going to be talking in this series about, actually says four types of miracles, but we're going to be talking about five types of miracles, really. Talk about miracles of healing. That's next week. Miracles of healing. We're going to be talking about miracles of rescue, 
miracles of protection, miracles of provision. And today we're going to start by talking about miracles of deliverance. And in case you're wondering, yes, we're going to go there. We're going to talk about miracles of deliverance, deliverance from demonic forces. That's an area that many people don't like to think about or don't like to talk about. Quite frankly, for most people in the Western world, it doesn't fit into their worldview. It just doesn't fit in. Because we don't like to think about that. We don't like to talk about that. In fact, many Christians in the United States are, 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 are brought up to not really believe that the devil is a real being. I remember when, when Lisa was in the process of coming to faith in Christ, she'd grown up in a nominal church, um, and she always grew up being taught that, well, the devil's not real. You know, that's just a story. That he, he's, he's not real. And She was telling that to somebody that had been sharing Christ with her, and they looked at her and said, that's just what he wants you to believe. And when, she, when he said that, it struck her. It's like, oh my gosh, that's right. That would be just what he wants me to believe if he is real. And she found out that, yes, he, he is real. Um, and, and so, you know, but, but it just doesn't fit into many of our, our, our worldviews. You know, but it's, it's, he would just assume, just slide in under the radar and not have anybody pay attention to him. The fact is, we have a very real enemy, the devil. He's not some cartoon character with horns and a pointy tail. And at one time, he was the, he was the, the, the highest of the angels, Lucifer. And then he rebelled against God. And now he's bent on destroying as many men and women as he can take, as he can take down with him. And along with the devil, the Bible talks about demons. Now, Different people have different theories about where demons came from, whether they're fallen angels, whether they're disembodied spirits from those killed in the flood, and, and, and so forth. The fact is, the Bible never really tells us where they came from. Okay, so we're, we, we can't be certain, but we can be certain that they are real because Jesus dealt with them. So suffice it to say that they are real spirit beings, and like the devil... You know, they work together. They are engaged in warfare against people, against human beings. The Apostle Paul talked about it in Ephesians 6 when he said, We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So he's saying our battle really isn't, you know, when you're, you're, when you're engaged in, in, in a battle with somebody and you're really having a difficult time and, and all this going on, the battle's not against the flesh and blood person. It's the forces behind them, the unseen forces, the spirit world that you cannot see. See, the, the fact is we are so materialistic minded and by that I don't mean into possessions and all that although that is true but that's for another time we are so um, what's the word I want uh, consumed with you know what we see the material world 
know, this music stand, this mic stand, this keyboard, this, this guitar, you know, all these things around here that we can see that we don't often stop and think that there is a spiritual realm world all around us that we cannot see. But it's every bit as real. In fact, I would say that it's more real than the things we can touch and feel right in front of us. We are not physical beings with a spirit. We are spiritual beings with a physical body. And there is a spiritual world all around us. The, and the, the unseen world that Paul is talking about in Ephesians 6 here, he's talking about the devil and demonic forces. And John tells us in his gospel that their goal is to steal, to kill, and destroy each one of us. That's what the devil's purpose is, and it's still his purpose now. It was his purpose then, and it is now, along with his demons. And most people typically don't know how they are to respond to him. It's like we don't know what to do with them. We don't know how to respond. And, and here's two of the biggest mistakes that, that, that believers make in, in, in dealing with uh, uh, the spiritual world, the, the demonic and, and the, the devil. First of all, we tend to, sometimes we tend to overemphasize demonic influence. Okay, we overemphasize it. We act like the devil or a demon is, be, is hiding behind every bush and behind everything that doesn't go our way, behind every problem be, that we run into. It's the devil causing this. It's the demon causing this and, and that. And we blame everything on him. Sometimes that's how we respond. You know, we get a flat tire on the way to work, and the devil did it. You're having people come over for dinner. Your garbage disposal backs up and, and, you know, all over the kitchen and all over the floor, clogs the sink, stuff The devil did it. He did it. I know he did it. The washing machine breaks down when you've got 12 loads of laundry to do. The devil did it. You're going through a lot of problems, and it's all, the, the, all at once, and the devil's really working overtime. He's really after me this week. You know, the, but, but let me tell you something. The devil is not behind everything that goes wrong in your life. We've got to be careful that we don't overemphasize what he's doing. On the other hand, sometimes we tend to underemphasize demonic influence. We underemphasize. Sometimes we don't even consider that we may be under demonic oppression or influence. Yes, we, ourselves, me, you. It can happen, <laughs> okay? We underemphasize, and maybe that we don't even think that the reason that we can't seem to get breakthrough in an area of our life just might be because of demonic influence. And it's possible that there's that, that it's just possible that there's demonic involvement that's keeping change from taking place in our life that's keeping us in the place that we're at that's keeping us from getting well that's keeping us uh, uh, from having that breakthrough those are two extremes that we want to avoid blaming every problem and everything that goes wrong on a demon or on the other extreme totally discounting their possible involvement because the truth in the, is, is, is in the middle. While we can't blame everything that goes wrong on, on, on the enemy's uh, uh, and forces, there's probably a lot more going on there that many of us would like to admit. Forces of darkness are a lot more active in the world than we want 
to think or want to believe. And I think it's getting worse. I mean, not that there's any more than there was, you know, 20 years ago or in Jesus' time. You know, sometimes we, we read the Bible, oh yeah, Jesus dealt with this demon, he cast this demon, he did this and he did that with it, you know, dealt with all these forces. And, and we, and then all of us, and, but, but, but yet if we don't think that they're here today, that they, you know, wh- what did they do? Where did they go? Where did they all of a sudden go? Did they go on vacation? I mean, they all go to some other country, some other continent? I mean, certainly they wouldn't be in the United States. Depending on which political view, then you may be in one party or the other party. Some of you see demons as red and some of you see demons as blue. Okay. Uh, how about both? How about both? <laughs> yeah, that, that, that could be. That could be. Anyway, um, um, you know, he's making inroads in our lives and he's making inroads in our kids' lives. Let me just say something. I'm not one that gets on a soapbox, you know, being against this or against that, whatever. But some of the things that I've seen and on, on the screen, on television, in movies, I mean, just the commercials themselves, there's a difference between that's not a good influence in my life, that's not a good influence on my kid's life, there's a difference between that and something that you look at and it's like, that is demonic. We need to be careful the things that we allow ourselves to see and that we allow our kids to watch. If you've got kids, monitor their screen time. Monitor the things that they are watching because they can have a, 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 a tremendous influence in our lives. Ooh, thank you. They can have a tremendous, tremendous, I mean huge, not tremendous as in good, but a huge negative impact um, on our lives. So I, I would really encourage you to think about the things that, that you're letting in. Um, um, thing is, we've become desensitized to it. You know, I'm thinking of like horror movies and things that we've just become desensitized. Um, anyway, let, let's look at kinds of things that demons do, okay? If they're active in this world today, what kinds of things are they going to do? First thing they do, they're going to tempt us to sin. They tempt us. They want to do everything they can to separate us from God. And that's what sin does. Sin separates us from God. It puts a distance between us and God. Remember we talked, was it last week or week before? I can't remember, but sometime in the last series we talked about, you know, being in, in, in the garden. And when Adam and Eve uh, uh, disobeyed God, all of a sudden, you know, they realized that they were naked and they, they, um, uh, they, they hid. God comes looking and says, Adam, where'd you go? Where are you? Let's hang out. And he goes, I hid because I realized I was naked. And well, how, how did you know that? Did you eat? Did you do the one thing that I told you not to do? Out of all that, did you do the one thing? Uh, yeah. See, it, 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 it causes us, it causes us to hide from God. 
And if, you know, if, they, if, if, if a demon can tempt us into sin, it brings guilt and shame in our lives and it destroys our intimacy with God. Causes us to hide. The enemy knows that if, we can, that if he can keep you away from God, then he's got you defeated. Because our power is in God. And if he keeps us from our source of power, then he's got us defeated. So he will do whatever it takes to keep you from God. He'll do whatever it takes to keep you from fellowship and encouragement of God's people by keeping you from church. He'll, keep, he'll, he'll, he'll do whatever it takes to keep, make sure that you're too tired or too busy to get into God's word so you're not strengthening yourself and feeding yourself spiritual, spiritually. He'll attack your self-esteem by telling you uh, uh, that, that things like you don't deserve to ask anything. Look at look what you did. You can't go to ask God of anything. After what you've done, he's never going to pay attention to your prayers again. And, and he, he, he attacks us that way. He attacks our, our identity, our self-esteem, so that we won't pray and we won't have that confidence in going to him. Paul says that the enemy wants to trap us so he can get us to do, uh, uh, to do, the enemy, to do his will. Paul tells Timothy, instructs those who, he, he tells him to instruct those who oppose the truth so that, in 2 Timothy 2.26, so that they will come to their senses and escape from the what? The trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. There's a correlation between being in the enemy's trap and then being captive to do what the enemy wants rather than what God wants. There are demonic forces that, that tempt us and entice us into sin. They whisper lies in our ears. They hold out the proverbial carrot as bait. Right? They hold out the proverbial carrot as bait in hopes of trapping us. You know, a key part of the trap is, is the, the bait. Why do you think cheese is put in a mouse trap? Because mice like cheese. Why do you think they don't put Brussels sprouts in a mouse trap? Because nobody likes Brussels sprouts. Mice are smart that way. They don't like Brussels sprouts, okay? Nobody does. Or should. Or should. I mean, you, bait is something that's supposed to draw you in. It's supposed to be desirable. It's supposed to attract you. It's meant to entice you to come closer until the trap is sprung. So he tries to trap us. First thing he tries to do is tempt us into sin, to fall into his trap. Second thing, he tries to distract us from, from doing God's will. In 1 Timothy 4.1, Paul said, The Spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will have been, how many think, you know, when he says latter times, you know, this was written quite a few years ago. So how many think this qualifies maybe as latter times? Certainly latter than that. But it says, the Spirit clearly says that in latter times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Now he says, the Spirit clearly says. In other words, this is a clear warning. He's speaking in clear language. It's a clear warning. Be careful not to allow yourself to be deceived by teachings that may sound good that may sound pleasant to the ear, that may sound like what we want to hear, but actually come from demonic influence and which attempt, us to, to attempt to draw us away from the truth of the gospel. There are things being taught 
uh, today that are leading people away from the gospel. He calls them doctrines of demons, things taught by demons. And, and you know, one example is there's many roads that lead to God. As long as you're sincere, just be true to yourself and you're okay. Wow, that's nice. There's many roads that lead to God. problem with that is it's in direct contradiction to what Jesus taught when he said, I, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not I am a way, a truth. I've got my own truth. You've got your own truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He doesn't say, I'm the best way. I'm a way, there are some other roads, but this is the one you want. He says, no, no one comes to the Father but through me. We need to listen to what Scripture says and not what other people say. Because what we believe does matter. There are some things that there is, you know, Christians can have legitimate differences on, but there are other things It's like, no, this is concerning the gospel message itself. And, and this, you know... This, there's no, no room, no fudging room on this one. No room for disagreement. This, this one is, it has to do with the integrity of the gospel. Third thing demons do, they inflict suffering. Yeah, we see this all throughout the gospels. Classic example is in, in Matthew 17 when, when a father says to Jesus, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire and into the water. And then, you know, Father says, you know, I brought me your disciples. They couldn't heal him. And, 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 and Jesus replies to him. And, you know, he says, he, he tells the Father, he goes, bring the boy here to me. Bring him here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed at that moment. It's a miracle of deliverance. He delivered the boy from the tormenting demon. Jesus clearly discerned that in this case, the boy's suffering was the result of a demon. Sometimes physical illness or problems can be caused by demonic activity. They love, demons love to inflict suffering. And throughout the Gospels, if you've never noticed it before, read it and begin to mark over and over where Jesus frees people from suffering caused by demons. The Gadarene demoniac. I mean, he was nuts. Yeah, and, and so, you know, it, it's, there are so many instances of demonic, uh, of demonic forces causing suffering. So as you read the Gospels, if, you know, if you're questioning this, just read it and start marking every single area, every single spot as you go throughout the, uh, uh, through the Gospels and the book of Acts, too. In this case, in Matthew 17, Jesus discerned that the seizures and suffering were caused by a demon. So what did Jesus do? He rebuked the demon, it left the boy, and the boy was healed. He was instantly healed, instantly freed from his suffering when Jesus rebuked the demon. As we said earlier, we are in a spiritual battle, and we need to recognize that there are forces of darkness that hate God and will try anything 
to get to God by destroying those he loves. Who does God love? You and me and everyone that Jesus came to die for. John 3.16, God so loved the world. So the enemy's number one target is people. Because if he can get to people and destroy people, human beings, that's how he figures he can get to God. John 10 tells us the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to destroy life. But Jesus came that we might have life. Well, the enemy wants to destroy it. The good news is this, though. Something about believers that you need to know. Something about believers that you need to be aware of. You and I have authority. You and I have miraculous authority over the darkness in the name of Jesus, over dark forces. In other words, we've you know, been talking a lot about the devil and demons, this message, but we don't have to fear him. Not at all. We don't have to fear demons because we have been given authority over them. Look at Matthew 10.1. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him, gave them authority to drive out impure spirits, demons, to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. He gave that to the 12. Later, he sent out 72 with the same authority. And then he commissioned the church, to, to the, each one of us, with the same authority. All authority was given to Jesus, and he gives it to us. In Jesus, we have the authority. Not just we as in a general sense of believers, but we as in you right now. You right now sitting on your seat. If you are a believer, if your faith is in Christ, you have authority to break demons' holds on people and set them free. But let me ask you something. What good is our authority over demons if we act like they don't even exist or if we don't aren't if we aren't able to recognize that they're at work because a lot of people don't it's, and that's just the way that the enemy wants it what good is our authority to break a demon's hold if we just ignore its presence i mean really because we act like sometimes, oh, yes, we believe it, but they're all in other countries. You know, they're in the third world countries. Um, we are in the United States, and we are more educated. We are more sophisticated to the, the, than to believe in that. And, and that's the greatest deception right there. We need to recognize that they're real and that we are engaged in warfare with them. That they're actively tempting us to sin they're they're distracting us from doing god's will that they're causing suffering in this world but at the same time we have authority you and i do so as we start kind of reshaping our worldview and thinking about this saying you know is it possible have I been under the influence or, or this friend person I know or 
you know, and you don't go jump into conclusions and, or, or anything like that. We need to be aware that, yes, that stuff is out there. It's also in here. I mean, it's, it's not just, you know, people out there. The enemy will take, try to take down anybody he can. But let me, give you, let, let, let me give you two things, two assumptions not to make. First off, don't assume every problem is a result of demonic influence. You may have a problem with something, you're struggling with something, oh, it's a demon doing it. No, don't, don't go there. Don't assume every problem is a result of demonic influence. Not every problem, as we said before, is caused by the devil or a demon. Some problems we have just because we're living the result of choices we've made. Some problems we have just because we live in a broken world. In a broken world, not everything works as it should, right? When something's broken, it doesn't work as it should. So don't assume the devil or demons behind all of your problems. On the other hand, don't assume that any problem isn't a result of demonic influence. Because the truth is, during our lives, we will sometimes encounter demonic forces coming against us. And if there is an area where you keep hitting a wall and nothing ever seems to work, time and time and time again, it's possible that's what the issue is. I'm not just saying it always is. I'm saying it could be. Some things are but not everything is. But when it is, when you do confront that, you have authority and you do not have to fear. You can address it with boldness and confidence like Jesus did, like the apostles did and his followers, like the early church did. See, John 1, 5 John says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Light always chases darkness. Darkness never chases light. You know why? See, darkness and light are not opposites. A lot of times we think they're opposites, right? What's the opposite of light? Well, dark. What's the opposite of dark light? No, that's not, that's not it at all. They're not opposites. Darkness is simply the absence of light. Right? It's the absence of light. So when light enters a room, the darkness flees. The darkness is chased away because all of a sudden light is present. And when light is present, you don't have the absence of light. Jesus said you are the light of the world. I think we talked about that maybe last week. You are the light of the world. It's always light that chases darkness. Jesus has the power, and he has given you the authority, and he's given me the authority. He's given us the authority to use his power. You have the authority to rebuke any demonic presence and command it to go, whether it's in someone else's life or whether it is in your own life. There have been times when been a while but there have been times when I've been asleep at night and all of a sudden I'm woken 
to, I don't want to freak anybody out, but I've woken to the awareness that there was something else in the room, that there was a presence there. And how do I know it's not just, oh, I can't sleep or whatever. It's like I wake up, I've woken up, and all of a sudden, terror. And I don't mean scared of the dark. I mean terror has tried to grip me. I I can sense it trying to come on me. I've learned that when that happens... And there's a difference between being scared and what I'm talking about. I've learned that when that happens, to take authority in the name of Jesus and command that to go. There was one time during this uh, during the period between... Um, the time after Lisa had given her life to the Lord and I had given my life to the Lord. We were in our apartment over in Tulip Tree Apartments up there on 10th and the Bypass. We were, I was a student at the time. and She had given her life to the Lord and I was resisting and I hadn't yet. And we were back in our, our bedroom and we were talking and we just got into an argument. And I don't know what the argument was. I couldn't tell you what it was about. But... I got, uh, we got into an argument, and um, all of a sudden, I just felt something, I don't know if this is Sunday morning material or not, but it is now, I just felt something descend in the room, this presence, and it was an evil presence, scared the heck out of me. And I'm 21 at this time. So it was a couple of years ago. I mean, I just, and we just stopped because we both felt it. It wasn't just like we had a fight and, you know, it was like, it was not like that. So, and it was, it was, it was at night and it was starting to turn dark. Well, we called up, Lisa called up, she goes, should I call Kane and Marianne, the couple that had been, you know, that, you know, sharing with her, and that Christian couple, they lived across the field in Campus View, and she, she, she how about if I call, I said, yeah, call him, call him, call him, he was sitting by the phone, picked up the phone, he was sitting there because the Lord had told him that we were going to call, picked up the phone, and, and said, why don't you come on over? And so we went over there. How many are familiar with where Campus View is in Tulip Tree? Okay. We started walking across the parking lot, just going to walk across the field, stopped at the edge of the parking lot. I'm terrified. I'm looking out into the darkness. I'm terrified. And... um. How about if we just drive? Yeah, let's do that. So we got in our car, drove around, <laughs> got to the apartment, went up, uh, went upstairs, and and we're we're with them, we're talking to them, and and that, and um, you know, explain what happened and all that, and just just talking, and then suddenly Kane 
looked at me and he said, Dave, do you feel the peace in this place? I said, yeah, I really do. It was an incredible difference between what I was feeling just a few moments before and what I was feeling then. He said, do you feel the peace? Yeah, I, I do. And he looked at me and he said, that's the presence of the Lord. It was one of those key moments in my journey to faith because I saw and I felt the direct uh, not contradiction, the direct what? Contrast. The direct contrast between the darkness of the spiritual world and the light. And there's only been there's probably been, I count on one hand the number of times I've felt what I felt that night. Let's look at Ephesians 6 again. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor, so you'll be able to, you, you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. God has given us everything we need for this battle. We are not to fear. We are not to panic. We are not to waver. God wants us to go in fully prepared. And when the enemy comes at us, he wants us to stand in faith, in boldness, in confidence, and in his authority to rebuke the enemy and not let him have any hold in our lives. We have authority to use his power. I'd like to have the worship team come up. I want to pray. And no, I'm not going to say, okay, anybody who has a demon afflicting them, come on up. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> I want us to pray. I believe that God wants to move more and more in power in our lives. I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to do more in our lives than we could ever imagine. This is just one area. Next week, we're talking about miracles of healing. And, and I believe God's got some good things in store. But we also need to be aware that when God turns things up, his activity, there is a reaction by the enemy. And he'll say, oh yeah, I'm going to try to stop this. And the only way that he can is if we don't recognize our authority and we don't recognize the, 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 the power and authority that we have in Jesus or if we fail to acknowledge what the enemy is doing. 
We don't have to fear, but we need to keep our eyes open. Let's pray. Father, we're asking you today to more and more begin to move in our midst in a miraculous way. As we're teaching on miracles, Lord, we ask you more and more, give us miracles. Give us miracles. Miracles that things that would that it was we know was only you, Lord, only you or it couldn't have happened. And Lord, as your church rises up, help us to recognize that we are in a spiritual battle. Increase our faith, increase our boldness. Increase our confidence to be light that chases the darkness. Teach us to use the authority that you have already given us. Teach us to use that authority, Lord. Open our eyes and let us see what you see. Let us see the world around us, the unseen world around us. Let us know that you're that, that what it is that you're, uh, 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 or, or that's going on all around us. So we can see what the enemy is trying to do and be aware of that. And Lord, we can see what you are wanting to do and what you're calling us to do, the part you're calling us to play. Fill us with discernment and faith and boldness. Protect us from the lies of the enemy because we want to know truth. Set us free, and then use us to set others free from the enemy's grasp. Holy Spirit, we want everything that our Father in Heaven has for us, not just the things that are comfortable, not just the things that are safe for us, but we want to walk in a boldness and a confidence and authority that can only come from you. So I ask you to do that. I ask you to do that in this church. I ask you to do that other churches throughout this community. Empower your church, Lord, to walk in the power and authority that you've given us and that you want us to walk in. In Jesus' name, amen.